Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I hope you're doing well. My name is Josh Warden. This podcast is a platform to talk with former Oregon State athletes about their time at Oregon State, what they've learned since then, lessons and meaningful conversations with these athletes who made headlines for their playing careers and now have learned things both in and outside of sports. And so that's why this conversation with Roberto Nelson today, a fun guest, will be largely about sports, but not all about sports. When the conversations I have and what I see on social media is honestly about 80 to 90% revolving around one particular topic, And in an era where we're in a pandemic and yet something else is being talked about much more often, at least right now, it seems oblivious to reality and insensitive to truth and honestly just a waste of an opportunity to talk about something very important right now with racial inequality, police brutality, injustice, and further conversations along this regard that I'll talk about with Roberto here. Now, we do talk about some of his playing career, some of his highlights, and a lot of things I'll get to, but we do kind of close the conversation on a much more deeper and impactful uh, note. And so I hope that you'll enjoy not only the conversation about his storied playing career, but also something that honestly is more important than sports and more impactful. As for what Roberto did as an athlete at Oregon State, he finished his career with 1,745 points on the men's basketball team. He played up through the 2014 season. He finished his career fourth all-time in scoring at Oregon State. He's played overseas in Italy. He went to Mexico, France, New Zealand. He's currently living in Lake Oswego and hoping to continue his professional basketball career. Roberto has an interesting career because on one hand, he's one of the greatest scorers in Oregon State men's basketball history. But on the other hand, Oregon State never had a winning record in conference while he was a Beaver. So does he look back and see how accomplished he was and take away only good memories? Or does he take away only bad memories? Well, I ask him about that. It's it's more complicated than just being on one end of the spectrum or the other. So we delve into that and how his career came to an end at Oregon State. Because as successful as a career he had as an individual and in terms of his scoring, it ended on one of the weirdest games I've ever witnessed at Oregon State. If you were there at the Radford game, and honestly, not very many people were, there were well under a thousand people at that game as Oregon State went to the CBI, a tournament that not very many people had high opinions of. It's well below the NCAA or even the NIT tournament. And Oregon State had a losing record in conference that year and ended up losing to Radford, a really small school from the East Coast that should not have beaten Oregon State. And that's how Roberto Nelson's career came to an end. It was Honestly, a travesty for a guy who had been one of the best players on this team for years to then lose in such awkward fashion on his home floor and had to walk out after that. That was it for his career. Luckily, Roberto, being one of the nicer guys I've known from Oregon State, is willing to talk about that, the legacy of Craig Robinson, other elements of his career. And we touch on, towards the end of the conversation, like I said, more meaningful discussions about racial inequality and what he's learned from his international travels as well and how that impacts his perspective on what America is going through. If you're looking for a way to help at this time, there is a lot of charities that you can donate to. There's one I'd like to mention. The website is on actblue.com. I'll put the link in the description for this episode, but it gives people an opportunity to donate to a bail fund or actually an assortment of bail funds. It can split your donation among 40 different bail funds that helps those who are incarcerated but do not have the financial means to pay their bail and spend the rest of the time free leading up to their trial. And since a large portion of those incarcerated are people who haven't even been convicted and just can't post bail, 
these funds help those who are the victims of financial inequality. So again, that link is in the description for this episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Roberto Nelson. And thanks again for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast up in Lake Oswego. Roberto, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, let's let's start with let's go with the chronological look. I want to take you back oh. to you're coming out of Santa Barbara and you're coming into Oregon State, kind of your first Beaver experience, and even the recruiting process. Because I remember at one point you were getting recruited by like more than 50 colleges. I think it was 56 different schools were looking at you. There was UCLA when Ben Howland was the coach, Florida. I think Billy Donovan was there. Ohio State with Thad Mata. Kentucky, I think it was at the end of the Billy Gillespie era over there, right before Calipari came in. Washington with Lorenzo Romar, Oregon with Ernie Kent. So you've got all these coaches talking at you. What do you remember from that recruiting process and how crazy it was at one point? Of of it was real busy, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was it was extremely busy. Um, the good thing about it was I, you know, my parents were really involved, and uh, you know they kind of helped. Cause you know, that, that's a lot, that's a lot for a kid, you know, sometimes you know, growing up and, and having multiple people saying a lot of things, Hey, you should come here. You should come here and not being influenced. Um, I think so. My parents did a good job of keeping me level headed and just understanding that there's a process that needs to take place in order to find the right school and to choose the right school of, uh, you know, that, that you'll feel comfortable with. There were a lot of coaches. That, that was just a small sampling of all the, the coaches and uh, people, I'm sure, were trying to get in your ear and get you to come out. I mean, you're one of the top 100 rated players of your class coming out of California. Do you remember any specific conversations with some of the more famous coaches or interesting recruiting stuff from any of those guys, whether it's the names I mentioned or anybody else? Yeah, I mean, that. I, I liked all of them. Ben Howland was, he's a local guy from my hometown, so from Santa Barbara. So we've had multiple discussions. And I remember, you know, being there, going on my visit there, as well as Thad Mata. There's, there's really good guys. I mean, there's coaches that you get a really good feeling from. And then there's coaches you're kind of like, Ugh, you know, I don't know. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the process. And like I said, you know, having a, a family and, and parents that were like, hey, you got to have these conversations because your intuition will tell you what the best decision is. You know, if you don't feel comfortable with it, then you aren't going to feel comfortable with it. You know, so I think that vibe that people were giving. Yeah, you know, like I said, I great coaches. Lorenzo Romar was an incredible guy too. I, I, mean, I loved Coach Romar, man. Like he's he's a good dude. That might as well. And I just fell in love with Coach Robinson and, and David Grace at the time who was recruiting. Um, I think it was a familiar as well, just having somebody within the the program. And, and Coach Grace has always been a good guy. And I feel like I'm now being out out of college now, having experienced what I've experienced. You know, it's kind of great to see now being out long time still having conversations with the coaches that that I chose to go to school with so I think that in itself is is a big reason why I chose Oregon State and I'm just happy to be able to have the conversations or be able to call them and say hey coach Grace what's going on how you doing you know so I think coach Grace gets forgotten these days I don't hear his name get brought up I mean obviously it was a while ago but he was a big yeah. part of the program and then coach Robinson obviously so you bring up Craig Robinson and I, I've seen it written that despite you being recruited by 56 colleges. And at one point, maybe you counted it up. It was Sports Illustrated wrote that you had gotten 2,161 pieces of mail from all these different colleges recruiting you. And I've seen it written that you had one sit-down conversation with Craig Robinson. I don't know if that was the first time you had ever met him personally, but you you committed real quick. So yes, yes. Tell me so about that meeting. How, how it was scheduled to go is I was supposed to go to Oregon State. I was supposed to go to Washington after 
um and then i would go maybe like i think think it was take a trip out to florida so oregon state was first on my list i've had conversations with romar like i said i love romar i he's a great guy uh coach donovan as well he was he was really good dad mata to me was it, it was really going to be between at that time you know washington or ohio state um, i just like the vision that they had for the program and, and kind of how stuff was going and then oregon state got brought into it and you know i, I at first, I was like, Oregon State, okay. And, and I started speaking with Coach Grace, and I'm like, Oregon State, they, they just seem like, it seems like a family place somewhere somewhere where I can really grow as a, as a young man at the time. And my mom and my dad, you know, they really loved it. After that, speaking with Coach Rob, it's, it's hard not to fall in love with Coach Rob when you speak to him. I mean, he's a genuine guy. He's an honest guy, and I think that's part of it. He wasn't promising me things and, and telling me things that I wanted to hear. We had discussions, and, and a lot of it, didn't involve basketball and and I think that was a big thing too he talked about life and then just you know all the stuff that came within basketball and being a professional so I think when I had that conversation I understood that I would grow more as a human and as a person being in a program like that and you know I think it's 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 helped me trust me it's helped me a lot so you you end up committing to Oregon State despite all these other programs getting at you. There was a point where, like I said, there's over 2,000 letters and cards and stuff that people are sending you, but you come to Corvallis and you sign with Oregon State. And so the recruitment process is done at this point. You're, you're officially an Oregon State basketball player. And at one point you walk into Coach Robinson's office and you you had not gotten any letters from Oregon State at yeah. one point. They were the last <laughs> exactly. one in there. So, uh-huh. which makes it that much more surprising that you picked Oregon State. But you you walk into Craig Robinson's office and say, I, I didn't get any letters from you at one point, but mm-hmm. can you write me a letter? And I'd never seen, he said, okay, but I'd never seen what he wrote in that letter. If it, you don't have to share it. My mom still private. has it. No, she my mom still has, still has okay. it. Yeah, yeah, she still if has you, it. So, if you don't mind it, me asking what, what was in that letter and why did you ask him for it? It was just, so it was kind of cool. So Coach Rob kind of acted as if I was in the recruiting process and I, and I wasn't there yet because I didn't get the letter until I was there. I said it jokingly to him and he kind of just laid out a foundation of what he saw for me is coming into there. Obviously, I, I'm going into it. I wasn't someone who was, was I would say, studious and, and really took my time and, and focused in the classroom. And he kind of just laid a foundation like, look, here, this is how we're going to do it. I can tell you're a bright kid. Destined with with the bright future as well, not just in basketball but outside of basketball. And he just like this. These are the these are the expectations. These are the things you're gonna do. And my mom still keeps it. It's still kind of in that little Oregon State seal. It has the old Beaver. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's it's. I mean, those are those are those are life lessons. And like I said, I've been fortunate to be around great people. And Oregon State is to me, it's like home. I, I love now. I live in Oregon, you know. So it's it's one of those places where I'm I'm proud to be a Beaver. Um, even though sometimes I see some duck stuff, I kind of, uh, you know, but I, I, I walk around my beaver gear all the time, go to the gym and I love to heckle the fans, especially when we, when we beat them in the civil war. Yep. You're, you'll always be a beaver. And, and one of the, the guys I most initially think of when I think of men's basketball specifically or Oregon state in general, which is in large part because of how long your career lasted. You become the fourth, you know, all leading fourth, all time leading scorer. But at the beginning, it took a while to get on the court because you couldn't play for a whole year. Yeah, and that's part of it. Like I said, coming into it, I was hard-headed, you know, thought I knew it all. And it, it was a humbling experience, definitely. Um, like you said, coming in as a high-rated player, having to sit, having to watch, wanting to help. It was just, it was tough, man. That that, that year showed me a lot. So, How far into the off-season workouts 
was it before you realized you weren't going to be able to play that year? So it was, that was, that's a good question. I think I didn't get fully cleared until the middle of the season, but there was talks. There was a bunch of talks of, Hey, there's a potential, you know, and clearing house. Oh yeah. They love to, they love to take their time. I mean, they, they, they really do. And I was just antsy and I was antsy because I was hoping as soon as I get that letter from clearing house, I was ready to go. And uh, I didn't get clearance. I didn't get clearance until midway through. So I kind of was essentially paying my way there at Oregon State for the first half of the year. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you- I had to take a lot of Pell grants and stuff like that. And it's it's funny because after you know after getting out of college, I still had those and I still had to try to pay those off. So yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> had you not signed a financial aid agreement, or you weren't on scholarship at that point? I I wasn't on scholarship. I wasn't on scholarship yet. Some, I forgot how it was. Something like that where I wasn't, I was basically like a student. Um, I wasn't able to, to play that year due to the to grades and stuff and stuff not, I guess, coming together. So was it at the end of the term where the grades come in and you get cleared halfway yes. through or whatever, whatever changed basically? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think that was, it's, it pretty much, I think that's how I remember it. Yeah. And then at that point, you're like, might as well redshirt, I guess. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't make sense because it, it was one of those things that you play a couple of games and maybe, maybe, you know, and, and it just I, – I, we didn't think as a as – a, we thought we'd be best to try to, you know, hit the ground running. So so you, you come out and your first game is in 2010. So at that point, you're a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of pressure on you, I'm guessing, because, you know, I saw some people talking about, oh, Roberto Nelson, top 100 recruit. He's, this is a program changing recruit was the phrase thrown around because only yeah. a couple of years before you arrived, Oregon State went 0-18 in conference. Yes. That was just like yeah. two seasons before. Mm-hmm. So you're coming into a program that had done a little better in the year before you arrived in that redshirt year where you weren't playing. Not great, but not quite yeah. 0-18, but still you know, needing a boost. And I, I read an article recently going back, written right before your first game. So 2010, you're actually going to play for the first time. It was yeah. a, a Paul Buecher article in the Oregonian. And he kind of wrote a joking statement saying, Roberto Nelson suits up for the first game needing 2,173 points to pass Gary Payton for first time. <laughs> and it's like, a, like, obviously, you're not going to score yeah. that in your first game. But the point is, like, there's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on a kid who's never played a college basketball game. And you're already yeah. being expected to be a certain type of player. You end up becoming the fourth all leading scorer. So you really yeah. did deliver. But that had to be at least somewhat difficult in that beginning stage where you haven't played yet. Yeah, um, it is. It is. But I think as, as you play the game, there's always added pressure. And I think for me, the pressure, the most pressure that I have would, would come from myself, you know, the expectations that I have. So I think other people's expectations, you know, were, 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 were strong. And, and yes, you, you do see it, but the expectations that I have for myself and, and that I hold myself up to is, is, is much different. So that, that was one. It, it, the first couple of years for me, I didn't think I'd, I played that great, you know, and, and it was it was tough. Like, it, it was definitely tough. It was a roller coaster for me. But um, those last two years, I think I, I really was able to, to give it my all and realize, you know, that, that the game is, is going to be played a little different. We spent a lot of time in the beginning part of your career, but as you look through the rest of your time at Oregon State, as far as highlights go, either of a particular game that stands out to you or off-the-court stuff, the relationships that you made, the teammates you had, what kind of stands out to you from from the rest of your four years at Oregon State and what you got to do there? 
like I said, just the, the, the connections and the people that I've been able to meet, you know, some of the teammates that I've had, and I mean, there's some of my best friends till now. I mean, with Joe Burton, obviously being family, family member pretty much before that. I mean, we, I was just playing video games with him last night. You know, I have great team teammates, you know, friends like John Wall Reed, Daniel Gomez, you know, the people that are going to be friends, you know, until forever, you know, so Ahmad Starks as well. Um, you know, just a bunch of guys. So I think just the community and being around there was something. It it was, it was a joy for me to to experience. There's like I said, Corvallis is an amazing place. People make you feel at home, and and it's it's hard to leave once you're there. That's why I'm still still in Oregon. You know, still <laughs> yeah. pretty close. Yeah, still in the Beaver State. Uh, yeah. Your final year was also Craig Robinson's final year, and I'm sure there were some up and down moments. I mean, when a, when your own head coach gets fired at the end, it's not all sweet, but you had a lot of moments that were really good with him, and, and you've stayed with such a – I mean, you, you of all people I know have a really high opinion of Craig Robinson, and, and he was always real nice to me, and I enjoyed talking with him. In your opinion, what should Craig Robinson's – legacy how should people remember Craig Robinson at Oregon State well I think you know coach Robinson if you look at it right we there was 0 and 18 teams previous to him and I, I don't like to to talk about other people or, or discredit them but I think Oregon State wasn't looked at when people saw Oregon State let's just say I, I feel like there was there was okay this is this is one of the games we can relax and I think Coach Coach Rob brought that tenacity, that fire to the team. Like, hey, look, you're going to come to Corvallis, and it's going to be a fight. You're going to fight each time. Each team respected us. They knew that we were the, the you know, it's one of those teams you just didn't want to, you did, really didn't want to play. We weren't overlooked. I mean, granted, we didn't finish, um, you know, super high in the pack. But, I mean, you ask Sean Miller, you ask, you ask any of those guys, they'll say, hey, uh, Oregon State, they, they're, they're, they're a wild card. And I think g gaining that respect, you know, going into the end of end of his his career and end of my career there at Oregon State I just think we changed the the perspective of how people looked at Oregon State basketball and I I, I believe it led into into the new to the new generation as well I think you know coach Tinkle and the new guys as well they've they've done a good job and 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 um, like I said I think you know coach Rob has laid that foundation so that you know people can come in and, and respect it and and they've built on that. So I think that's, that's it's a process. I think it's unfair to judge teams on wins, even even wins and losses, even though necessarily that that's kind of how we are. That's in, in sports, you know. But I just think you you look at the players, you look at how some of their careers are still going now, right? I mean, we had a bunch of NBA talent. We have high overseas talent. Angus Brandt's like one of the top big men in Australia. Joe Burton was the player of the year in France, you know. Chalet Barton was the player of the year in Sweden. You know, Mott Starks played. Eric Moreland's an NBA champion. Jared Cunningham was a first-round draft pick, you know. Um, and some of the recruits that were came in after. I think, you know, people have to look at it. I think we like to pin people against each other too much and and, you know, say, you know, he, well, he didn't do this and they didn't do that. But I think it's a combination of both. I think you know, without without the the team and the and the foundation that Craig Robinson you know built, I mean, who knows who knows what could happen. Some of those players that he recruited were on the team going into you know this this new era, and um, and they've made it an exciting exciting place to play. Coach Tinko's done a great job. That staff has done a great job as well of building building as well and 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 creating a, a another place where they're like, hey, Oregon State's. <laughs> we don't want to mess with them, you know. So, like I said, I think too much and too too many times in sports we try to pin people against each other. I think it, it's a it's a level of being fortunate, and I think 
Craig Robinson has, you know, the foundation that he has laid has allowed, you know, tournament appearances and stuff like that too. So I don't, I don't like, you know, people just bash Coach Rob, man. People don't understand that, uh, you know, it, it's it's a building process. I mean, look at we got the practice facility too, you know. Like there's there's so many great things that he's done, and 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 we're so easy, we're so quick to turn fingers and point fingers at people, and that's that's sports, unfortunately. But you know, if you sit back and really look at it, you know, as a whole, and 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 look at you know how the how the program was moving. I think he he did a good job. I mean, we were we were essentially a 0 and 18. That was the that has to be the last place team in in, in the Pac-12. You know, especially when you're Oregon State. Unfortunately, you have to compete with a lot of other top schools within your conference. You know, and that's that's tough. People don't realize how tough that is. I mean, Oregon when I was coming up wasn't necessarily Oregon now. Um, men's and women, right? You know, and look at Coach Ruick. You know, Coach Ruick has done a fantastic job there. And it was great to be able to see him, you know, from what the other coach has done, be able to create his own legacy there and, and with the girls and, and stuff that were there. And, I mean, those, man, I like Jamie Wisner, like Alyssa Martin, those girls were incredible, man. Oh, my God. They would try to kick my butt in the gym. I'd always see them, especially when the practice facility was built because they were on the first floor and we're on the top floor. So you would always go in and you'd always hear the ball bouncing. I'd always peek my head in and say, oh, who's that? And probably be Jamie or something and then, you know, or somebody else. And we'll have a contest, shooting contest. And it was always, you know, it was always fun. So I think a lot goes into these things. You don't just become a winning program like that. There's 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 process that, that that has to take place previous to that. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. I, I'm lucky to have had two women's basketball players so far in the podcast, and I'm hoping to get more. And the two I've had are Jamie Weisner and Alyssa Martin, the very really? two that, oh, that you brought man. up. No, they're cool. They're cool. <laughs> uh, Jamie's probably the the biggest trash talker in the world. <laughs> she for real talks so much trash. A lot of those, a lot of them, man. A lot of them. I used to even get like Ruth handled. It. She used to talk. She used to talk trash, and she's quiet. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. do you get a Canadian to trash talk? You got to do something. <laughs> no, you got to just you got to you got to poke the right buttons, man. Exactly. She, no, they're all cool. I think, I mean, even Sydney, I like uh, you know I like to watch watch teams from afar and just some of the people they they're they're characters and they seem to just love playing basketball and have fun. That, that's something I love. It's like watching Zion, man. Like I love watching Zion because there's nothing bad you can say about the kid. I mean, he just looks like he's having fun playing the game, and that's essentially. What you get into it, you love playing the game, and obviously, if you have a, a a physique or something like like Zion, you're able to extend your career. But having fun within it is what what, what makes the most right most, most sense. To to go back to your career a little bit, when you finished out, we talked about the pressure of coming into Oregon State and how hard that may be. And and you even said I didn't really like the way that I played the first year or two. It felt underwhelming to me. So to end up scoring close to 2,000 points, so you're right up there and some of the greatest Oregon State basketball players who have ever played with the Beaver uniform as one of the greatest scorers. Was there a sense of, of accomplishment looking back on it after you finished your career and realizing what you'd done? Uh, yes. I mean, but there's that competitive stuff. Like, man, you could have did that. Like, you just needed to buckle down and just... I think that too too much. There's a lot that goes into your mind. I think that's part of part of the game. You know, you mature within the game, and I think, you know, it took it took time for me to mature. You know, my basketball game, and that's that's part of it. That's part of the process. But yeah, I definitely felt I left Oregon State. I was like, listen, I I gave everything I had. I played. Fortunately, I didn't get injured or anything like that, and I played through injuries too. You know, and and you know, although statistic wise, I did well. I always want to do better. Uh, there was. I'm sure that part of what 
causes you to be some, I mean, you're somewhat happy and, and accomplished in what you do, but, but like you said, not everything was perfect. Everything is nuanced in between. It wasn't all great. It wasn't all bad. There was some of each. And maybe the one that highlights that or underscores that is the very last one. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have to talk about this game, you know, six months or a year after it happened, but it's been six years later and I'm sure it's still not the easiest game to talk about, but it's tragic to me that a career like yours and how many amazing moments there were had mm-hmm. to end on a game like the Radford one, because I don't, that was yeah. just the, the weirdest, yeah. most unfortunate game. And I don't want to make you have to talk about that one. Oh, but yeah. Trust if you me, want to, yeah. you can. No, I mean, it, it was just a sense of just one of those things, man. It was, it was, it was rough for a lot of people, right? Because we all felt that we were better than playing in that, in the, in the tournament that we played in. And it, it was just, it, it's tough because like you say, you have this, this level of where, where basically where you see yourself being, and we didn't finish where where we thought we should be. So I think there's a little bit of guys being demoralized and stuff like that. Even myself, you know, I look how we started the game off. I think we started that game off. We we're getting our butts kicked, you know, and we just fought back. And, and obviously we didn't win, but it was close. And it just kind of it was. Man, that was that was definitely that one. That one definitely got because I, you know, as a senior, you're like, hey, this is my last. This is potentially my last game, you know. Um, so I just try to make sure to try to give it everything I got. Unfortunately, you know, part of that part of that is is my job is to get everybody ready as a senior and the leader on the team. And then you know, it didn't didn't pan out. We didn't win, but I mean, I had like I said, I still have no regrets. The one of the things that kind of sucked was I played against one of the players on Radford later down the road, and he was like, "Remember we beat you guys?" I was like, "Oh man, I wish I could go back." I wish I could go back, or I wish I could play him right now. You know, it was one of those things. It's just a competitive thing. Like, hey, listen, man, I still can do it. So, yep. It's so it's so weird because, like, for the career you had, I mean, to lead the Pac-12 in scoring, to have you know a long four-year career, to be one of the leading scorers ever, and then to to not be able to respond. That was the last game. You've got no more eligibility. You're not coming back next season, and it was a tough loss to a, a small school in the CBI in the first round. And it was just, just the weirdest moment. I'm guessing that must've been hard to go into that off season that summer and, and to handle that and to realize that of all ways was how your career ended. Yeah. I mean that, that to me is just, it's, it's, it's basketball too. You know, that team, they had something to prove, right? So coming into our building, Pac-12 school, they're like, Hey, we're a smaller team, but we want to prove that we can play with them. And I think we underestimated them a little bit. I think we weren't, we weren't ready to, to take that challenge on. And that's why we started off. It, it was a big deficit at the beginning and we had to fight back, you know, and that's, that's kind of life. You know, you can't, you got to give it your all every time and, and, and live with those punches. If you get punched in the mouth, you got to get back up and, and throw a couple more. So yeah, it's it's it was tough. If anything that that teaches me, you can't write your own story. You can't you can't finish no, the book no. the way you want it to all no. the time. You never can. You never can. And nobody ever can. I think that's how legacy is just like when we watch a Jordan documentary and stuff. I think I think that's what makes him special um in the sense is like on the court he let his game do the talking and a lot of the stuff that that you know, that we see on t- on television and stuff like that. He created all that. And I think I think what made it so sweet about him is just there was the expectation of him, yes, but there wasn't the expectation that he created. There wasn't the legacy that he created going into it. He created that. And I think that's why people consider him the uh, the greatest ever. Uh, like I said, that, that topic to me is a, is a tough one. But, you know, like LeBron James, people, he was 
coming in supposed to be one of the, the best guys in the world. And he, a lot of the time, gets discredited for that, um, even though he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations he, with him being so high. But I don't know, man. It's, it's Sports is tough. Sports is tough. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of last things about your Oregon State career, and then we'll talk about what you've done since then. There was another moment. This is while you were at, in the, in the time you are at Oregon State, but this wasn't even an Oregon State game. I want you to tell me your best in terms of the the Shaquille O'Neal type breaking a backboard. And I asked your, oh. your best memory as if you've done it yeah. a lot of times, maybe only once, but tell me, tell me about a time far away from Corvallis when you broke a backboard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we were on a uh, <laughs> Beavers Without Borders. First off, that was one of the like most incredible experiences that I've ever had um, in my life, and it was great because I was able to experience it with some of my teammates as well as other student athletes um, in different sports, cross country, everybody wrestling, and Kevin McShane, Joe Burton, I think myself. Those are the three basketball men's basketball players that went. And going into it, we're just we didn't know what it was because it was fairly new. It was the second trip ever with them um aside from guatemala they went to guatemala before and it was a service trip paired with habitat for humanity to go out and build a um, house for a family basically and like i said i was fortunate to, to be able to go to macedonia and there was a you know professional basketball team there it was their second league and you know some of the football guys and you know we played soccer and stuff like that too and people were challenging us so it was a it was a fun game they organized and you know, we had Kevin McShane who was up there throwing down dunks and, and Joe Burton, you know, strong as can be throwing down dunks. And I think they loosened the rim up because when I went to go dunk, you know, the backboard shattered. And I was very, very, very fortunate to not have any glass in my eye. I mean, I had glass stuck in the back of my head, you know, my ear. I still have scars to this day. But like I said, I think I think it's because Joe and Kevin, man, those guys are out there throwing down, <laughs> throwing down, throwing down thunderous dunks, and I go up there with my little two hand dunk and break it. It doesn't make any sense. And you got twenty stitches. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was amazing. It was fun though, man. I mean, aside from that scary moment, that was it was one of the <laughs> one of the most fun trips. But like I said, within that was it was amazing because you know everybody came together. I think one of the the biggest things that I took away from it is, you know, when we first got there, people have this perception of America and they have the right to. I think we're spoiled in a lot of senses here with some of the things. Some of those families have to go walk miles for running water. You know, we leave our leave our shower on to warm up before we get in, you know. So, um, it, you know, the community there when we first got there was was very distant from us. They're like, oh, you know, these are USA spoiled brats in a sense. And. Like they they had the right to to believe it, like I said, and uh, you know as you've seen, the days go by and and the community see what we're there for and what we're doing. It kind of just gave a sense of humanity, like hey, you know we're all the same people. Um, yes, America definitely is a, a much more fortunate place as far as some of the necessities that we do take for granted, um, but we're here to to help to help a family out. And by the end, man, everybody was there gathering around. The whole community was helping us out. And I think that was a, a blessing to see, you know, be able to change somebody's perspective. And so now they can go and tell their kids like, hey, you know, American people are there. We're good people, too. You know, yes, we have we're we have some things uh, that are, I would say, higher end and, and better. But, you know, people are people. And I think yeah. especially in a time like that, you know, this is that's the important, important thing to see. What else were you doing there? I mean, playing playing a little bit of sports and, and breaking backboards, but what else yeah. did you get to do there in Macedonia? 
it literally we just got to travel and we're our goal there was to just go and build a, a house for a family and i mean we were made we were making cement we we're bricks and the whole man it was like 110 degrees it was it was it, it was hard work man like it's it's no joke like it's really really no joke so I, my hat's off to people in construction people doing hard labor because i tell you man i i was I'm an athlete that's in shape and everybody there was, you know, and we're all very, very, you know, tired. You know, we got, when we got to the room and we got, we went to sleep, you know, so it was, it was tough. When you bring up the theme of sports humanizing you and, and creating a bond, uh, especially with your pro careers, you've mostly played overseas. You did have a little NBA experience, the summer league playing for Charlotte. You had the game winning shot and, and all that yeah. fun stuff in, in one of those summer league games, but you played in Italy, you played in France. I think you had a little time in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even some other places. I don't know. Let me know of what, what have been kind of your experiences in pro ball. And if you've kind of noticed some similar things to Macedonia, another European country of mm-hmm. how you've interacted with teammates, community members, fans, and what you've been able to do on the court also. Yeah, I mean, being overseas is kind of it's 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 definitely tough. You know, you're away from home. Uh, there's different cultures. Uh, it could be a culture shock if you're not used to it. Um, but the, like I said, it takes you back to that thing. People are people, and, and people love and people love. You know, and 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 you just gotta find ways to for people to to open their hearts. And you know, Italy is a super. I, that was where I started my career off. I think I played two years there, and then went to France and Europe just in general. You know, I mean, obviously. You know, they all, everybody has their perception of what what America is. You know, they watch TV, they watch these things, and, and you know, it's it's hard not to create this this fantasy of what America is. You know, good and bad. Um, so it's just for you to be able to go in and and show your character with those people, and then have them judge you based off of that. Um, so you can see, like I said, there's good and bad. You know, there's people that go over there expecting it to be a USA, and it, and it's not. It's just not. Um, fortunately, I was able to go over there with the mindset like, hey, I'm very excited to learn new cultures to uh you know new food new different new ways of life um just just to be open-minded about the whole process and it was a smooth process for me i've you know i've played in new zealand as well and you know i think it was cool being there because it's you're you know you're out of the country but you're speaking the same language so the language barrier is something that's very easy to to be able to communicate and and stuff like that but it was been a lot of fun for me i'm still doing it you know i'm I'm still playing i'm just waiting for this whole you know covid thing to kind of clear out so leagues can say hey you know we're we're back open we're back in for business um, but yeah i love it i really do love it so you're open right now you to, you're not unsigned at the moment but looking to play yeah. wherever you may or what's the prospects? yeah so a lot a lot of the time you know playing in europe you'll sign a one-year deal Trust me, and I think what people don't understand is like it's it's a hectic time because you don't know when your next job is, and a lot of the time they'll call you and say, "Hey, Roberto, uh, we need you in Italy in two days." We're like two days? Like, what do you mean? Like you know, if it's a tough business, it's a tough gig. There's a lot of you know hard work, but like I said, I've, I've been fortunate to have you know a girlfriend who's understanding, who's athlete as well, who a lot of time will go out there with me and visit as well. But it's 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 just kind of like the setup that I have has just been good. I have a good family support system. Like I said, I have a good girlfriend who understands that and friends who understand that. And that's just kind of the life that I'm living right now. Um, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to like, I love playing basketball and be able to travel the world. Yeah. That kind of leads me into one of the, the final things I'll touch on, which is yeah. with how many places you've moved around to different teams, different leagues, different cities, different teammates, languages, all that. 
what has stayed consistent for you? And I'm sure part of it is the family. It's it's Danny, who is like you said, she played on the softball team. You've known you've been together eight years almost now. And um, so that I'm sure it's at least part of the answer. But what connects all those experiences amidst all the other things that have shifted around? Have you learned a similar lesson or seen things that have stayed constant in your life through everything else that has changed? Yeah, I think, you know, just motivation like keeping yourself determined and motivated in times like even right now you know being able to 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 have faith you know okay the season's going to start but i got to be ready and, and and be determined for that i think the part of this part of this competitive life that you live is that at any time you know it can stop right you know we're fortunate to be able to live present in this day and be able to have these conversations and talk about it I mean, you never know, one, when your time's going to come. You look at, like, you know, as recent as, as Kobe Bryant, you know, may rest in peace. And, and, and it just puts a perspective on it, you know. You have to give give your all and and spread as much love as possible because you never know when that day will be called. And you just hope, you know, when that day's, when that, when that day's called that, you know, you can be remembered and, and leave a good legacy back. So I think – it kind of goes back to, you know, when we we're playing at Oregon State, you know, at the N7, thinking about Native American culture, how they think, which is an incredible thought if you think about it, how they live today, how it's going to affect seven generations. And I think that's if people had that in mind, I think we would be in a much, much different place as far as society and everything. So. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this question, but I think it's a meaningful topic. Yeah. With everywhere that you've been and, and you're changing perspective on how people view America or how you take, try not to take for granted what we've had here or how you've learned from different cultures, with what's going on now in America, both in terms of something that has touched everywhere in the world with, with mm -hmm. the coronavirus, but even more more specific to America with a lot of racial tensions, a lot of protests, yeah. a lot of really deep stuff that takes a lot of time and, and wisdom and, and yeah. forethought to be able to handle that correctly. Have, have you be able to give a different perspective because of everywhere you've been, or, or even if it's not because of your international travels, just because of who you are, um, yeah. you know, what, what's kind of the lesson you take or, or what you would like to say at a time like this? You know, as far as, you know, how the problems that's happening here in the States, I think that's that's a topic that people need to talk about. People need to talk about that. And that, and that's that's part of it. Right. Like we got to be able to have discussions with people, whether we agree with them or not, and be civil about it and be able to have it. And I think tough conversations is kind of where people get very, uh, I, I guess, they, people don't like to have tough conversations. You know, it, it makes you uncomfortable. And I think that that part of uncomfortable this, you know, makes you vulnerable and people don't like being vulnerable. But I think that in order for America to grow is to understand that necessarily America has has been built on a lot of bad things. You know, there's bad things that have ha that have taken place. here, And I think a lot of stuff has been swept under the rug. And I think once those come to light and, and we can sit there and look back and say, hey, you know, OK, we, we preach that America is the greatest place in the world, uh, you know, without understanding and, 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 and highlighting some of the, the negative that is there that maybe has has enabled us to to make America a, a great place. I think having these conversations and and people understanding and educating themselves to it, I think will be a lot more clarity and people can be on board and understand stuff a lot better. I think right now, due to all the stuff that's going on, we're seeing you know systematic racism and stuff like that and people not understanding it. 
and uh, people not knowing what to do. And a lot of the times when you have people that, that don't necessarily know what to do or how to feel, you know, we act out and, and act out in, in, in the wrong way. And, and it's not for me to say if that's good or bad, you know, because I've been fortunate in my life to be able to see both sides and be able to live in both sides. And I don't like to generalize stuff or I don't like to have people influence my narrative on how I see things. And, and, this, and this could be controversial. I don't necessarily think it's cops versus blacks in, in the sense, you know, and, and, and media is trying to pursue that and, and push this narrative as well right now. And we have to be careful with what they're pushing because that, like people don't understand the power of media and the stuff that they see and the stuff that they read. Um, a lot of the times you'll see articles and, and it only highlights one part, you know, and, and what I just said could be the, the title of, of this article and, and people could just be lashing out at me, but not listen to the whole article and not see what I'm saying. So I think the narrative behind it, I think there's a systematic problem that we have to try to attack and understand. And uh, America has to kind of say, hey, this is something that's happened. This is something how America, the America was founded and, and the foundations were built a, a specific way. And then we move we, then we move from there, you know, but until the elephant in the room is addressed, I think then there's just going to be these tensions that keep happening. I mean, you see people who are, like I said, there's a guy who there's a video and he was, it was three African-American men talking and he was talking to an older guy. He said, you know, you're mad at 61. I'm mad at 45. And there's a kid that's mad at 16, you know, so there has to be a way to, to be able to, to peel back the layers, even though it may be ugly or it may make you cry. You know, it, it's, those are things that need to happen so people can understand that in order to move forward, you know, we got to look backwards and, and, and see how some of these things have formed into what they are. Yeah, I appreciate those words. And, and speaking yeah. of, not limiting it to one little comment to bring it back to what you said earlier is one of the things we discussed was how grateful we forget we need to be in America because of that. You know, we can run the shower and, and wait till it gets warm. Yeah. And on one hand, yeah. that's part of it of like, man, we don't realize how good we have it. And yeah. on the other end, it's man, we don't realize maybe why we have it so good. Not to say that America is the only nation with systematic racism. I mean, no, no, every no. I mean, this, this goes back everywhere, man. Like it, it's not, it's the world too. I mean, I speak to my girlfriend as well. And in the Philippines in the, you know, in the Philippines, there's, there's a lot of that too. I mean, it, she's played on the Philippine national team and, you know, people, it'll be a, you know, it's, it's tough because some of, in, in some of the cultures, I'm not saying all, oh, I don't like to generalize, but some girls, that are of Philippine descent will not want to, you know, it could be 110 degrees outside, but they don't want to get darker because, you know, the specific uh, complexion of their, their color can be more of a person in, in poverty or something like that. And I think that's, we have to look at it differently. I think, you know, it's funny because I play Xbox all the time and, and have a buddy from Canada and he's like, hey man, you know what? The only thing that's going to change it if aliens come to the, come to the, <laughs> come to the, you know, and I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, if alien comes here, then we as people, we all have to unite. It doesn't matter what we look like, you know, because it'd be another, another force against us. And I felt like, you know, that's kind of actually, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. What if it took something crazy like that for happening to be like, oh yeah, you know, we're actually the same, you know, these are people from, this is an, an entity from another world, you know? So it was kind of jokes. I think that too, you know, you have to keep a sense of not just be angry about it too. You gotta, I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's very tough. Like it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough topic, but you gotta be able to, to have your own opinion and, and agree to disagree sometimes with somebody that doesn't have it. Cause it's, it's, that's not how you change it. You don't, you don't change it by beating your way into, you know, beating your opinion into somebody. And I think that's kind of what's happened here is, you know, um, 
a certain way of living and a certain you know stigma has been built built into people and pushed into people and people are starting to push back now so yeah i was i lived in the philippines for the better part of a year and i mean it's crazy like you said it'll be super hot outside and dry and you'll see people walking around with umbrellas and i'm like it's not raining and it's <laughs> yeah. just it's to cover their skin to to stay yeah. to not get darker it, it's a yeah. stigma and they don't want to it's crazy i mean yeah, i well i say it's crazy but who am i i mean point being like yeah. every country has their thing and we in america are not the only ones who have the problem with it but we've only got one country to handle the problem with it we're, yeah, we're not in charge of the philippines so for what it's worth not to to limit it to america but this is the country we have and have to deal with with these issues and have these conversations right yeah, for sure. And like I said, it starts with it starts with that. Like I said, we have to we have to be aware now because right now we're more vulnerable than ever, uh, especially with everything we see. You know, I can pick up my phone and you know it's a headline of something somebody said, and it's an excerpt of just something that could be controversial. And then and then I'm already angry going into it um, instead of watching the whole thing. So I think it's with everything being clickbait now, and unfortunately, media media has started to move at this rampant pace where everything's so fast that sometimes the real story's not there, but we're just trying to get uh, a news coverage of it. It's tough. So you have to be able to make educated decisions about it and be able to decipher through what's what's real and what's fake. Well, Roberto, thanks so much for chatting about some some fun memories, some hard stuff, some meaningful stuff. It's always good to, to catch up with you and learn about what you're doing. Best of luck whenever you get to play basketball again. Yeah, and, yeah I'm and praying, I hope, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you and, and Danny do well. It's always fun. Like I was telling you before we're recording, you, you were my favorite basketball interview when I started covering the basketball team, and Danny was my favorite softball interview when I was covering the softball team. And it's fun to see the two of you together and living well and, and doing life together. So thanks for joining me. Thanks. I'll let her know, too. You have a good one. Well, I hope you found that conversation with Roberto Nelson meaningful. I ended the discussion with that topic of racial injustice and tensions in America because I want that to be kind of the lasting memory, at least of this episode. And like I said, this podcast is meant to touch on more than sports. I don't care just about how many points a player scored or what they did while playing for Oregon State. I want to learn about what they realized as a person and how they developed off the field, off the court. And so these are the conversations that are more meaningful in life anyways. And that's why I wanted to talk with Roberto about it. And that's why I'll add my own thoughts here. I put them at the end of the episode because I'd rather have other voices be heard first. My opinion is not the all-encompassing arbiter of truth on this. So if you want to turn away at this point, I get it. I do not speak for Oregon State on this, by the way. This podcast is not affiliated with OSU. I don't speak for Roberto on this. This is just for myself. Now, I was speaking with a friend recently who is white, just like myself. And he said the murder of George Floyd was wrong. It was terrible, and there's nothing to defend that. But he did have a worry for himself, which was he didn't want to have to apologize for being white. In other words, he worried that all of the talk right now of African Americans being the victim of injustice will essentially make white people out to be the bad guy, and he will have to feel bad for who he is, and he'll be disrespected for being white. And first of all, I'd like to say that's a rational, normal thing to desire. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be treated based on your dignity as a person and not your skin color. What I'd like to add, though, is to point out how much more would a person of color want that same thing, yet would have a more difficult time achieving it? I mean, if you want to not be treated differently because of your skin color, 
Let's use that desire not to feel bad about it, but to instead empathize with everyone else who wants that same thing, yet are at a disadvantage of obtaining that right. So while it's normal to not want to have to apologize for your skin color, I would like people like myself, Caucasians, and anyone who's generally not the victims of racial injustice to not back into a corner and defend who we are, but rather proactively defend the rights of others who aren't typically at that same advantage as us. And no, this isn't just America. Just because we may point out that the history of America is troubled doesn't mean that we're the worst nation in the world or there's something wrong with us that nobody else has problems with. Issues of self-image and racial inequality are all over the world. And I'd actually like to defend and clarify a little bit of what we were talking about with the Philippines because I worry I may have used them as a bit of a token image of another country that wrestles with the same thing. On one hand, yes, there is a stigma about light skin in the Philippines that people will use skin moisturizers or lotions or whitening cream or stay out of the sun just to avoid their skin getting darker. So two things on that. There are aspects of ourselves that we should change and that we shouldn't. If you have a tendency to be rude towards people who are unlike you, that's something that does need to change and you should alter who you are. There are other things that do not need to be changed, such as your skin color. No one should feel the need to alter who they were made to be. At least for myself, I believe we were all endowed with dignity by who we were created by, that we are made in the image of God. Whether or not you agree with me on that, I hope we do find common ground that skin color is not a thing that needs to be changed. And while both Americans and Filipinos may have issues with skin image and self-esteem that honestly I think both countries have room to grow in, I think there's something about the Philippines where they actually do it better than us on one hand, some people try to alter their skin color, and that rarely is a healthy choice of self-image. But I also recognize that it's much less common, at least in what I saw, for there to be overt, objective racial injustice and inequality because of that. That people weren't treated that much differently. Sure, maybe some teasing, and it's a part of the culture and media, but there were not really issues with police brutality or other forms of major institutionalized injustice that were there. So yeah, they do have one issue, but they've shown themselves to at least not take it further than we do. There's hope for us. If the Philippines can do it, then maybe we can too. I don't expect humans to create a utopia or to ever properly have perfect image of who we are or what we were made to be. This is a broken world. I get that. But improvement is a possibility, and my intention is to stay hopeful in that. Beyond that, though, I think one of the better things we can do is to listen rather than speak extensively, so I'll let these words be the final ones I speak. And in terms of another voice that may offer better perspective than mine, I spoke earlier today with Pat Bailey, assistant coach with Oregon State Baseball, and he had some very powerful things to say, both on this same topic of racial injustice as well as some other meaningful things with coaching philosophy and the baseball program, so that conversation will be a fun one to listen to as well. As always, I'm very grateful to everyone who listens. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast.